Welcome to the Med Faber Show, where the focus is on helping you grow and preserve your wealth. Join us as we discuss the craft of investing and uncover new and profitable ideas, all to help you grow wealthier and wiser. Better investing starts here. Matt Faber is the co-founder and chief investment officer at Cambria Investment Management. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Cambria's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Cambria Investment Management or its affiliates. For more information, visit cambriainvestments.com. What's up, everybody? We got an out-of-the-world show for you today. A returning guest is managing partner of Hemisphere Ventures, an early-stage VC firm focused on frontier technologies. She's also founder and COO of Explore, a space company dedicated to deep space exploration. In today's episode, we're chatting about the space sector, which has been absolutely on fire. Our guest updates us on what's happened in the sector since we last spoke. We hear about the impact of both SPACs and ARK Investments' new space ETF on the sector. We get updates on some of her prior investments, including Axiom Space and their quest to build the first commercial space station. Then our guest shares why she thinks space companies actually are a great fit for ESG investors. As we wind down, our guest shares what's going on with Explore and the development of their spacecraft, the X-Craft. This episode is sponsored by our friends at YCharts. A typical day in the life of a financial advisor calls for back-to-back client meetings, juggling portfolio management, and the consistent desire to improve client relationships. YCharts report and proposal tools could be the missing piece to help you effectively handle these time-consuming tasks. Now more than ever, clients want to hear from their advisors and with user-friendly templates at your disposal, generating impactful client reports can be easily integrated into your everyday routine, helping you free up time and focus on what matters most, enhancing client interactions and growing AUM. Need to make a clear head-to-head comparison between a client's existing portfolio and your proposed one? Want a seamless way to educate your client and present market trends with minimal effort? Join thousands of users who rely on YCharts to easily answer those questions and much more by leveraging personalized proposal reports to truly showcase your value add. Click the link in the show notes to learn what others are saying about YCharts' comprehensive suite of reporting and proposal generation tools. Get 20% off your initial YCharts professional subscription when you start your free YCharts trial. Click the link in the show notes or tell them Meb sent you for new customers only. Please enjoy this amazing episode with Hemisphere Ventures and Explorers Lisa Rich. Lisa, welcome back to the show. Mav, it's great to be here. So listeners, we had Lisa on back in the summertime and so much has been going on in the world of space. We thought we'd have her back on to chat a bit. We even just had a space, another space ETF launch. What's been going on since last summer? You uh, got any updates for us? What's new? Space industry. Oh, by the way, sorry. I'm hopeful, double fingers crossed, the month of April, there's two launches at Vandenberg. So I'm trying to go see my first launch. And uh, if they don't get scrapped, I'm going to see my first launch. So if any listeners are going to be in the area, let me know. We can do a rocket launch party up in uh, Santa Barbara area. Oh, that'll be amazing. We had in the Seattle area, our residents were treated to a little sky show the other night because the rocket boosters were SpaceX had a launch and uh, we got to see some, uh, you know, UFOs, if you will, (laughs) flying in the flying back to Earth. And somebody caught a video of it and sent it to me. And it was just a nice little surprise. And I do hope you get to see those launches because there's nothing like a launch. That experience in person is tremendous. 
I'm excited. My three-year-old has an astronaut suit. I'm sure he'll wear for it. So we're pretty stoked. So a lot's been going on in the sector. I think we even had a Barron's cover a few weeks ago about space. What's new in your world? What's new in the space world? Things accelerating a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I would say on the investor side, there's never been a more exciting time for the space industry or more of a focus on the space industry. Certainly with the SPACs that are happening, a lot of our colleagues are participating in those as part of the boards. So they're behind the scenes. We have seen several of them launch already. And I think the key thing to know is that there are so many more to follow. So this is not just a few out the door and that's it. This is just the start of the SPAC craze for the space sector. And it's interesting because people are asking me, should I invest in what's out there now? And I think that that's going to go in waves. The first companies out the door, the first one out the door, of course, was the famous the Virgin Galactic opportunity people had to invest in the first space company to really be public. And that's been very popular. And I've supported that because I think there's a long-term opportunity and they were the first one to do it, which is all good. The next ones out the door, there are a lot of reasons why they have been the first to raise funds and try and get the growth maybe they didn't have already. There's a third way of coming. And those are the companies that will be certainly the diamonds in the rough that I have worked with. And we can speculate on who those might be. But Hemisphere has been the first investor in companies that are going to be space unicorns. And we continue to do that. We are thrilled to see the progress with companies like Axiom Space that announced their $130 million raise. It's really extraordinary to think about that when three years ago, we're starting the process to raise for the world's first commercial space station. So when I've said publicly, we have companies that are accelerating like you've never seen before, that's an example of one of them. Axiom, for the listeners, we talked a little bit about it on the last pod. So you can go back to, I think it was episode 233. But tell us a little bit about what Axiom does, because I remember seeing invested alongside you in 2018, three years ago, in this company. Pretty cool. I mean, and congratulations for making that good move. (laughs) You will be very happy. But what a cool idea. You know, like there's so many ideas like that. I mean, Axiom is literally building commercial space station, like you said. And that sounds so that sounds so fantastical. Like most people, I feel like a startup can't do that. Like that's got to be like Boeing or Lockheed or the U.S. government. Right. And that is the challenge when you meet a new team saying they want to do something big and bold. That's what we look for. But beyond that, it's an unparalleled team that needs to execute on visions like a bold vision like building the world's first commercial space station, especially if you look up the existing ISS in the Wikipedia, you'll see it's the most expensive project ever attempted in human history. I forget how many billions we've spent on it or trillions, I I don't know. But um, the space station will exist after it's built. The new modules are attached to the existing International Space Station. And the proof points that happened this year were their partner, SpaceX, having the launch of Crew Dragon capsule with Bob and Doug going to the ISS. So the proof point was 
SpaceX being able to deliver our astronauts to the ISS from U.S. soil, that was a big thing to celebrate and a thing to celebrate for Axiom investors because SpaceX is their partner for taking the astronauts that they will train, the private astronauts that they will train to the space station. So just kind of a point of demarcation is that SpaceX can take astronauts in the crew capsule to the space station, but they cannot host them on the space station. Axiom has that exclusive right, which is wonderful. So there are other astronauts SpaceX has contracted with to do an orbital mission with so they can fly around, but they can't dock and be on the space station. So Axiom announced their first flights in 2022. They have three astronauts they will be taken to the space station. They have other missions that will happen after that with some really exciting people going to space. And so you start to see commercialization opening up because it's $55 million a ticket to do these missions. And for a company that wants to build a space station, they not only need the government contracts for the modules that they're building, which they're winning grants and things like that to help enable, but separately that they're going to have money in the bank from the services they provide by training astronauts and hosting them on the space station. Man, exciting times we live in. I feel like a lot of people, you know, with where the public markets are and the progress of some of these companies, there's also the excitement, but some people would be worried that it's getting into almost too much of a euphoria with the SPAC situation. I mean, another ETF just came out from ARK and Co. What's your general view? Is, is it a time um, that things are running too far, that uh, in the public markets is kind of what I'm referring to here? Any general thoughts on uh, what the vibe is? Definitely using caution is key and understanding what you're investing in and who you're investing with and having some insights is really essential. With the SPACs, what's interesting is in some way you could argue that anyone could make money because we know it's going to launch at $10 and likely going to go up from there. So if it launches and there's the euphoria that a new space company has launched and you're buying those shares, you could make a big bet and buy some money and sell and have some early gains. But what is it going to do after that? What is the long-term value of that company, I think, is what remains to be seen. So yes, there's money to be made if you want to just play the market. But we're talking about growing industries here. And so I've looked at the SPACs that are out there. I will say that there are some very glossy decks. And I think that the value of the SPAC is that it is on future opportunities. But in some cases, are those future opportunities really going to come through to fruition? I'm not so sure. There's the challenge of, can they take all the money that they're raising and make these visions happen? Do they have a strategy to do it? Will they achieve it? And when? So those are the questions that I would have for some of the SPACs that are out there now. I currently am not invested in in any of them. I'm more interested in the SPACs that are coming up next with uh, the new wave. I think that you have some older companies that have SPACed and they'll use those dollars to try and innovate and grow. But the newer ones that will SPAC next will be the ones that I'll be watching more closely. For ARK Invest, I did think, I feel like I'm a kindred spirit with Kathy Wood 
because our strategies are so aligned. She's looking at frontier technology and space. That is hemispheres focused. We are investors in synthetic biology, so new materials, robotics, drones, and space sector. So is she. And her first fund that came out yesterday for space, right now, what can you invest in when the new space companies technically are not public companies yet? But what you can invest in, what I was looking at in her list of companies is some of the existing aerospace companies, some of the materials companies, structural engineering firms, so that the industrial companies that have materials, have engineering, those are in her portfolio. And I think the good thing is she has the ETF out there to evolve it over time. So as these quality companies start existing, she can absorb them and it will probably be a good fund long-term. But I do have some concern about the really uh, non-correlative issues in the market right now in terms of value. And I think that will continue in space where people are excited to be in it. But the caution there is, will the profits be there to support the valuations? It's an interesting dichotomy of the public and private markets. Having kind of followed the space for the last four or five years on the private side, it feels like it has a very different composition than the public markets do. I was smiling as I looked through the ARC holdings because they had Netflix in there. And I was trying to figure out how in the world you could get a Netflix. I was like, well, maybe, you know, the early days in space, there's not going to be much to do. You can, you, can, you can watch Netflix on the moon. I don't know. But it's just like many industries, you know, that are growing and emerging. Like you said, I think a lot of the composition will look different in five years as you have new companies go public and SPAC as well. Yeah, exactly. I remember seeing, I think, Dassault Systems, which is looking at future engineering capabilities and trying to enable that. I believe they were working on a plan to have new technology kind of innovation centers. So they are a forward-thinking company. There are forward-thinking companies in there. There just isn't a company yet that's part of the disruptive space economy, which is the earlier stage companies that I work with. So last time we chatted a bit about some really fun companies. I know Umbra, Planet IQ, any others that uh, have been crossing your plate you want to chat about? Absolutely. And Umbra's doing phenomenally well. They're going to launch this year and couldn't be more excited about their synthetic aperture radar capability. They recently announced they have approval now for the imagery to be even higher resolution than 25 centimeters. So you could basically see the detail on a Coke can from space. Really exciting, mind-blowing capability. But separately, we have a company that's called Link Global that I thought I might mention because I think people that talk about space that don't often understand it and people think that Starlink is going to provide cell phone connectivity and they are not. There are companies that also claim AST, which is backing, claims they're going to provide cell phone connectivity. And I would argue that that will be quite a challenge, especially since it's my understanding that NASA does not approve of their plan. Link Global allows you to have connectivity with an unmodified cell phone. And it's quite extraordinary because when you're in a airport lounge way back before COVID when we traveled and you're in an airport lounge and you're trying to get connectivity, your phone is showing you the available networks. It automatically shows you the available networks. Link will do that 
when its satellite flies overhead. So suddenly you could not only send a text message, which will be sent without any delay because you're not in an urban canyon. There's no interference between you and the satellite. It's just you, the air, and then the satellite. And it's a way that you could get weather warnings, advanced weather warnings, because they could all be broadcast. Really important to start there. And they've already proven it. They have four satellites operating now and they will expand. And I think there will be a lot more to follow where that came from. But I think people don't understand that Starlink is using a $500 dish and provides internet connectivity in the home or perhaps on an RV that has a dish on top of it. So very, very different. And we're just really thrilled with the capability Link provides. And that's one to watch. Fun. Where do you guys stand on the uh, hemisphere side? You guys have one fund, two funds, raising a third fund. I feel like you're always, if you're an investor, you're always raising new funds. What are you guys up to here? Always be raising, right? Well, I have a wait list, Mev. I'm not quite sure what to do about it. I'm a very busy woman. As you know, we have a space company, Explore, that I can mention later. But I have a wait list for Hemispheres Fund too. The reason for that, not only it's not just I'm busy, it's that I want to give investors functionality that they haven't had before. And there's a lot of opportunity in the space where we're seeing back office operations where you can buy and sell shares. And I think investors deserve that ability. We also are very cognizant of the fee structures and things like that. We like it to be friendly to investors. So there's a lot of reasons. There are also communities that are being developed in addition to funds. So some investors like that, where they can be on a Slack channel, for example, talking about the investments being made in the fund. And I think that appeals to us most because we really believe in the democratization of investing. And we want to help inform and educate our audience about the space sector so that we grow the ecosystem for that. So more to come there, but hemisphere.com is where to get in touch if there's interest. And what's the format for investors? Is it traditional fund? Is it rolling fund on AngelList? Do you guys do SPVs? What's the main way you work with investors? Yeah, we are not doing a rolling fund because it seems that with the fee structure for that, it's ideal for LPs that are, sorry, for fund leads that are constantly pushing the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. That is not us. We are very curated. We are building relationships with every company. And so it's fewer deals in our view because we have more skin in the game. It's less deals, but we feel very strongly about the diligence process and the quality. I'm not saying that there isn't on the other side, but just for our pace of investing, a traditional fund structure would be better where it's going to be maybe 14 to 20 deals in the fund. And we have organic deal flow because of our extraordinary relationships in the sector. Hemisphere was listed as a top VC in space, and we have now... 25 companies in our space portfolio. Wow. And what are you guys looking for on the horizon uh, as far as new ideas, new companies? Anything particularly excited about? Any open spaces that you're just waiting for somebody to launch a company in? What's coming across the platter? 
Well, I will tell you what we're not looking at is launch. I really don't understand. There are 168 or more launch companies and people emailing me every day asking me to invest in launch. And you know, even the other day, I heard Anthony Pompliano saying, SpaceX makes a billion dollars a launch. And no, they do not, Anthony Pompliano. They make $60 million, I think, for a launch, but it's not a billion dollars. This is not where the revenues come from in the space industry. So people need to, I think, learn a little more about that. So we're looking for, you know, where is the revenue being generated? It's going to be from the sensors, from the data people bring back. There are companies working on highly capable sensors, Planet IQ being one of those companies with weather forecasting capabilities, and they are launching this year. So we're really excited to see that. There are more sensor companies coming out with hyperspectral and multispectral imaging that is an important part of the space ecosystem. So we like that. Collision avoidance, some companies working on national security, support for national securities with space domain awareness, all of that is important. Good. Well, space founders, you can reach out to Lisa. Don't hit me up. Reach out straight to Lisa. You got your the next <laughs> billion dollar space idea. Yeah, yeah. And the companies that we invest in, because of the SPAC craze, I just want to point out, they're being fueled forward faster than we've ever seen before. So there, we've seen the roll-ups happening. So last time we talked, I might have mentioned our company Made in Space was acquired by Redwire. And then I think it was last week, there's a SPAC now for Redwire. So Redwire acquired positions in multiple space companies and then brought the valuation to a point where they could SPAC. So I think we will see more of that happening and hopefully more of a strategic build out of these companies to build a valuable entity in the long run. I've seen you mention before this concept of ESG as applied to space. My first impression would be that space in general would be a very potential complicated ESG story, but maybe it's not. Talk to us a little bit about what that means to uh, this particular industry and sector. Thank you. Yeah, the low Earth orbiting companies right now, that's the most of the commercial activity is in low Earth orbit. And they have the ability to do climate monitoring. So if we think about Tesla and the money they make every year on carbon credits, it's an automatic moneymaker for them. So if you have a company that's gathering the data for a precision data on carbon capture, on methane, on water usage, this is the future. So that kind of data is really important and more companies are popping up that are analyzing that data. And so what I've seen is the ESG impact, I know they're different, but impact investors looking at companies that are monitoring the climate and solutions for that. But they haven't really been looking at the companies that actually are the space companies getting the data. So I'm waiting to see the impact investors going the next level out, which is not just the companies using USG data, free data from our Landsat, uh, for example, but data from companies that's more precise. So even the insurance companies, and this is maybe just sort of following that path of getting precise data, they have wineries that maybe have drought or have damage to their crops. And right now, a winery can say, 
we have all this damage, but how do they precisely measure exactly the acreage and the areas that are damaged? Well, with the types of imaging you can get from space, you can accurately measure what's been damaged. So insurance companies like that to say, oh, well, I only have to pay for this much of your crop, not your entire crop. And I think for the companies that are trying to apply, the ag companies that want to apply for water credits, methane credits, carbon credits, they need to be thinking about getting accurate measurements and maybe even going the next step to the companies that have data that is not provided publicly right now. Would the actual space companies be beneficiaries of potential credits? Is that even a possibility or is it more of a... They're enabling. Mm. They would be enabling the clients. I mean, I always say that I believe in the next five to 10 years that every company seeking to have an edge will have a space strategy. So if your strategy is just buying data that's available you could be going another level up and actually in the future hosting your own missions because with a company like my company, Explorer, which offers space as a service, you can design a mission, have an instrument flown for you to bring your data back to benefit your company. So this is where I see the trillion dollar economy expanding is really smart companies saying, oh, Do you mean I can fly an instrument, I can bring my data back and leverage that to learn more about my business because I know about my water usage, I know about the ground soil, I know about the temperatures. All of that is going to be very important to ag companies, cattle companies. It's going to happen. It's early days, but I think the smartest CEOs should be looking in that direction. Give us an update. That's a good segue. You're not only an investor, but also an operator. Um, Explore. Remind the listeners who didn't hear the last episode, what is Explore? What are you guys up to? And then for the ones who did hear the last episode, give us some updates. What's the progress been since last summer? Thank you. Yes, Explore is a commercial space company based in the Seattle area. And we are offering space as a service. We are offering the ability to send a payload to space and to operate those missions for our customers. So it's really enabling new types of missions, unique missions. And I would point out that these are highly capable missions. In the past, CubeSats have been flown. Those are experimental. We have a vehicle that can do many missions for customers with extraordinary instruments and very large instruments. So it is uh, disruptive in that way. And contact us to find out more. We're very stealthy. But I think I did mention on our last podcast that we, within six months of sharing what we do with customers, we secured contracts with the, the trifecta of government customers, which is NOAA, our national Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which monitors space weather, very interested in space weather and the capabilities we can provide for advanced monitoring systems. So we can have warning of coronal mass ejections and basically solar events that can hit the earth and damage our electric grid. Insurance companies, very interested in that. And then NASA, we have a phase three award in partnership with the NASA JPL and the Aerospace Corporation, where we're working on one of the most advanced spacecraft that we are developing for them so that they can image an exoplanet. 
So we have the light craft, which we have a page on our website about the light craft. Many videos, I welcome everyone to watch them. We have had something like 250,000 views of just one of our videos on the light craft. And you have to understand just how advanced you have to watch the video to understand just how far it could go into the solar system and why this capability is amazing because it requires no propellant whatsoever other than the photons from the sun. And then separately, so it's NASA, NOAA, JPL Aerospace, and then we have our contracts with the Air Force where we're building out the architecture for cislunar space. Basically, this is building out an architecture that's like GPS at the moon. So we need to know where we're positioned when we're beyond Earth orbit, and this can help us do that. And so the Air Force is very excited about working with us on building out that infrastructure. We've also, we've, we've added uh, tremendous advisors to explore. If I can give a shout out, Rob Meyerson, the founder of and former president of Blue Origin with Jeff Bezos. He helped build that out. Alan Stern, who was the PI on New Horizons Mission to Pluto and other extraordinary people. And as well, we are hiring. Our team is growing. We've got positions for CFOs, accounting managers, mechanical engineers, flight software engineers, avionics software engineers, senior electrical engineers. So HR managers, you name it. The team is growing and would love your brilliant audience members to uh, ping us at Explore Careers to apply. Yeah, it's super fun playing around our website. That's xplorelisteners.com. And Lisa, why'd you pick Saturn as your bio planet? Do you have a special relationship to Saturn or just, you know what? I am fascinated by Saturn because I've seen it through at the observatory, at the Keck Observatory on, in Hawaii. We've been up there observing it. And when you look through the telescope, it's the size of my, the nail of my pinky on my pinky. It's so small when you look through it on a telescope and it looks as perfect as that image on the website. It's so unusual. And I've watched the documentaries about the rings and they look like they're on a single plane. And what you find out is that there are formations that what looks to us like a ring that are like buildings. If you ever look at the topography of that, it's really fascinating. So I am fascinated by Saturn and thanks for mentioning that. It's the hardest question people have when they're hired by us is pick your planet. And they say, wow, this is the most important decision I have to make for your website is what planet do I choose? It says a lot about you, a lot of pressure, what you associate with. And so Explore um, is the main customer. Is it going to be governmental? Is it going to be corporate? Is it kind of wide open at this point? Well, our goal is to accelerate science and to develop missions for a wide variety of customers. And so having that diversity of a customer base is phenomenal because we can work with certainly civilian space agencies, national space agencies, sovereigns, national security customers, et cetera, universities, NGOs. Anyone can go to space with Explore. And what's unique is that while all the space companies right now are focused on low Earth orbit, our spacecraft can go beyond Earth orbit to the moon, Mars, Venus, near Earth, asteroids, all the way up to Ceres. 
and possibly farther given the light craft and its capabilities, which you'll have to watch the video on. <laughs> yeah. What's the time horizon for these sort of missions? Is it this decade? Is it going to be staggered for all the different ones going on? How do you guys plan it out? We have a very large pipeline right now of working with our customers. And I think you're going to learn more in 2022. Good year, man. Well, we got to get through 2021 first. We had a pandemic and who knows this year's this year's only one quarter done. It feels like a, a long one already. But the challenges of this build out is it I mean, I imagine the timeline, it's almost like bringing a pharmaceutical to market where you're looking at, hey, this is the steps we have to take and it's going to have to hit these milestones. But you're probably literally planning out over the course of multiple years, probably even 10, I imagine. We have a pipeline that's very long because there are opportunities for missions that will happen that we know about because of the solar cycles, because of asteroids coming near the Earth and affecting the tides, possibly national security. You don't know emergency disaster situations. Uh, people don't think, you know, we've been living through this pandemic and you think things could never get worse. And yet, uh, if you look up the Carrington event, 1859, I think it was, that's when all communication was disabled on the earth because of a solar event. So could things get worse? You know, they could, and we just have to be grateful for today. What ideas would you like to see come across your plate that you're not seeing? Is there anything in particular where you're like, man, either at Explorer, we would really like to do this and we just don't have any governments or billionaires ready to fund it, but I would love to see this happening. Or as investors, is there like something where you're like, wow, I really wish someone should do this. We just haven't seen the right company and team yet. Anything sort of fall in those categories? It's a good question because I think what's happening, what we're seeing in the sector is that family offices, institutional investors, billionaires, hedge fund billionaires, any kind of investor whale wants to be involved in space. We have artists, creative artists, musicians, people that are understanding that they could have a custom mission and wanting to learn more about that, separately wanting to invest in that. So there's been a bit of leapfrogging happening. I've never seen the likes of it where you go from the angel investor groups where they say, you know, I want to invest small amounts in an early stage company to being at an early stage and having billionaires saying, I want to take up that entire round. So that is happening left and right. In the SPAC world, they get a whiff that there's a SPAC happening. They want to be involved in the promote shares. They get a whiff of an early stage company and say, I get emails every day saying, I want to have a position in space. And I have the call and I say, when you say you want to have a position in space, are you saying you want to invest X millions of dollars and where would I recommend putting it? And usually the answer is yes. And so it's not just, could I put my money in this? But what if I wanted to run my own mission? What would that take? And so that's been fascinating to me is people realize that they can really skip a step here and design a mission and that we have the team that can help them design their own mission that could be very significant for corporations as well as individuals and creatives. Sorry, I'm just thinking of missions in my head right now. As you're talking, I'm like, what would be fun to think about in true science fiction fashion? 
are there any that cross your plate where you're like, oh, God, that's so cool, but we're just, we're not there yet? Too outlandish? Well, I think that designing a mission is about expanding your human footprint. If you're not a scientist or you're not a company saying, I need this data, it's about what can I do that's meaningful and significant that will generate a larger audience by sending this mission to space. So some non-for-profits are saying, for example, the ARC mission, that's a partner with Explore, they want to send the libraries of human civilization and have these libraries sent all over. And they have one in the Tesla that's flying in deep space right now, and they're going to send one with Explore. So they want to have civilization's knowledge sent to space. And that's significant. Other non-for-profits say, if I send a mission, will I enable STEM education? Because I can have these young boys, girls, underprivileged youth, what have you, participating in that mission to space with Explore. So there's the larger meaning here that can be expanded because of the footprint that's created with a space mission. So There are a lot of different levels here on why people want to go. Uh, Certainly, the research institutions want to go. They want to send uh, science missions. Human tissue has never been beyond the ISS, to my knowledge. So they want to experience what can human tissue do? What kind of radiation would it experience? How do we look at how cells are modified as they go deeper into the solar system? There are so many unanswered questions that I think it's really the gamut of opportunities here. I like that you clarified that, to my knowledge, human tissue has never been sent because I feel like we're entering this point in the not too distant future where individuals and companies will soon have the capability to enact a number of these missions, I don't want to say without the permission of, but independently of government bodies. Reminds me of Contact when, and I can't remember any of the people's names, the movie, but the the bald guy that's starting to resemble Bezos, but he flies around in his plane and he builds a competing structure versus the government. And he like just builds his own. I feel like we're probably, I don't know, a couple decades, maybe not even from the possibility of these existing totally independently of government and sort of people doing these missions on their own. <laughs> is, is, that a, is that an outlandish uh, idea? I think that the missions that are sent all have to have checks and balances. I don't have a great concern there because there's regulatory issues involved in sending any mission to space. I think that for me, the the tissue project is important because if you hear Elon on a podcast, he's saying, you know, we're going to go to Mars and we're going to land there. And of course we will. I don't know when. But the point is, we need to bring back data on these environments to understand how safe these environments are and how we need to survive in these environments. So there's a real need for that information, even for the higher level imagery to identify landing sites, for example. You want to land safely, so you can bring back elevation data and you can have a high-resolution mapping that's what's needed first before we put people on boots on the ground. So it's going to happen, but that's one of the reasons Explorer is doing orbital missions and not a lander. The orbital missions allow us to survey the area. Uh, landing is much harder. 
How are you guys accomplishing all this on your side? Is this uh, self-funded? Is it VC funded? Is it uh, what? We are well funded and we have not announced that formally. We may, not sure that we will. It's debated. Uh, (laughs) So that's how we're able to hire and, and grow the business. And as well, you know, we've announced that we have a few customers, we have many more on the way, and we just like being quiet about what we do. It allows us to focus and not be distracted because there are certainly a lot of distractions out there. And we're not a business that operates on FOMO, we're a business that operates on strategy. Yeah. The uh, listeners, if you end up booking a human flight, with Explore to the outer reaches of solar system, save me a jump seat for the introduction in 10 years. I'll join. What else is on your brain, Lisa? What are you thinking about as uh, 21 cruises along? You got a lot on your plate between investing and uh, operating a space company. Anything else you're thinking about, excited about, worried about, everything in between? Well, I think that I am excited about the SPAC environment and how it will contribute to companies that are ready to SPAC and others that will pursue the path to IPO. I'm encouraged by it. I think that the space sector has a real moment here. You know, I survived the 90s as a small investor. I mean, I barely had any money right in the 90s. I was so young. But, you know, the dot-com era was upon us and how many of those dot-coms came out to be winners and how many came out to be losers. I think we're sort of seeing that today and we'll see that. My hope is that we have a lot of great companies emerging that will expand the space ecosystem and will help everyone that's investing profit from it and be more interested and want to be more involved. Yeah. Listeners would not have seen this, but uh, your cat Nova made an appearance. Is that related to the TV show, the comic book? What? Well, Nova means brilliant star. And her name is Nova officially, but her nickname is Rambo because she is really a rambunctious little thing and she's absolutely precious. So, um, but she's a precious little star. And boy, I could have a show on her. I mean, Anything online with kittens, I think, warms everyone's heart right now since we're still hibernating with COVID, uh, hopefully not for too much longer. I don't see vaccinations opening up just yet for just anyone in the Seattle area, but I'm hoping that happens very soon. Fingers crossed. I feel like we're maybe a month away from a U.S. spring break global, maybe a little longer, but it seems like it's already happening in places the world. Uh, It's like 80 degrees in Los Angeles today. I think everyone is ready to get out and about if that's the vibe. And in the space sector, especially, it's been a reset because we are used to traveling everywhere all the time. There are conferences all over the world. The International Astronautical Congress, also called IAC, is happening in Dubai this year. And will we be there? Well, I don't know. So for investors who are interested, is that like the main event? Are there a couple of them? Are there anything like any general space resources that come to mind for people that as the world reopens, want to get involved and start to learn more? Yeah, the new space event in Seattle is held every year. And that's a great event, I think, for anyone wanting to dip their toe in the water. 
the IAC event is honestly like being at Epcot where you go from Italy to Switzerland and you just cross the street because all of the international space agencies are there. All of the space companies are there. But it's also a technical event and 3,000 people or more usually attend. And there are technical sessions where they're reviewing papers and studies. And so investors wouldn't really be involved in that. They could walk the halls and see what the space agencies learn about space by being there. Cool. What's the best place, Lisa? People want to find out more what you guys are up to? Where do they go? Investor side, company side? Investor side. So hemisphere.com, we've got hit the inquire button and we'll get back to you. And then explore, please visit xplore.com to learn about the careers we have. And I will say, you know, we are stealthy. So if you're looking to understand our strategy from our website, you probably will not. You would have to be behind the scenes learning more about us. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mav. Great to chat with you always and appreciate you having me. Podcast listeners will post show notes to today's conversation at mebfaber.com forward slash podcast. If you love the show, if you hate it, shoot us feedback at themebfabershow.com. We love to read the reviews. Please review us on iTunes and subscribe to the show anywhere good podcasts are found. Thanks for listening, friends, and good investing. <laughs>